0: I think there's, there's a big difference between loneliness and solitude so mm. um yeah it's it's not it's not lonely um although you may look that way because you spend a lot of, a lot of it uh it's something that you do alone and you have to do it alone you really do i mean of course you can go out and shoot with friends i'm meeting friends up in scotland uh later this week but but to really engage you know you have to be alone because you can't be thinking about anything else you, you can't go out to enjoy landscape photography with a deadline. So if you have to leave to go somewhere or somebody's waiting for you, that's the worst. Um, So yeah, you have to do it alone. But yeah, solitude's great. It's, It's an escape from the madness that's going on in the world today.
1: Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world with the power of human connection i'm your host brian miller and today's guest is thomas heaton thomas is a landscape photographer and youtuber based in the uk his youtube channel has attracted over half a million subscribers and features weekly video blogs of his photo shoots in some of the most stunning locations on earth i'm neither a photographer nor am i into nature but there's something magical about the way he films the process of spending hours and sometimes days in pursuit of a single photograph. I've been a subscriber and huge fan of Thomas's work since the early days of his channel, and it was such a treat to spend an hour discussing creativity as a serious pursuit. Our conversation ranged from the power of publicly admitting your mistakes to the battle against repetition to how he approaches storytelling, getting into a flow state, the role of intentionality in creativity, loneliness versus being alone, and the role of luck in success, and in particular, the role of luck in photography. And of course, Thomas shares his story of a chance encounter with lasting impact and gives one piece of critical advice to young professionals trying to make it in this crazy world. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Thomas and direct links to specific videos on his YouTube channel that we mentioned during the conversation. And now, Thomas Heaton. All right, Thomas, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I am I can't tell you how excited I am for this. Really? Well, I'm excited to be on as well.
0: So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here, so thank you.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's really a pleasure and an honor. And, and honestly, I've been watching your channel on youtube for years i mean probably since very close to the beginning or i imagine at some point in that first year or so you had one or two videos that popped off and that's probably where i found it uh, at, at some point when i was in my vlogging journey when i was attempting that for years making five videos a week on youtube what a nightmare those <laughs> oh. couple of years were five
0: five a week Man, that's crazy yeah i, I struggle to do one I, I used to do two and and then the quality just plummeted, so I had to drop to one a week. So,
1: yeah, that's that's right, and it, and it wasn't my job. So I, I I think I found you in in that phase. But what's interesting is just before you and I started recording, you had said this will be interesting to talk to somebody who's this is not a photography channel. Yeah, I'm I'm not a photographer. Uh, I don't even like nature. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I really you just so hate nature. I...
0: Don't don't cut all the trees down.
1: <laughs> I love I love looking at nature. I like to see it from my climate controlled behind glass environment and enjoy the majesty of it. Uh, But being in it is a totally different thing. Uh, But but that's a lot of I think why I ended up being so drawn to your channel. There's something really magical about the way that you make the videos and it's gotten more and more magical or ethereal (laughs) over the years the way that you you create the videos but but let's start with the most pressing question okay what is the best camera for landscape for te- no i'm kidding um what <sighs> I, was, I was just about to <laughs> sign out then what was this exit uh no what are you working on lately what's on your plate like this week what are you doing uh so i am actually currently packing for a trip to scotland
0: in my camper van where i'm going to uh, have a week or so of indulging in photography and most likely wet, windy weather. Um, So that's what I'm doing. And I'm I'm currently, on top of that, working on my next video, which is um, a video where I went out and shot my film camera. So some expired black and white film, which was interesting, Uh um, and some colour film. And it was so funny because that whole shoot, that entire day was a disaster from start to finish. You talk about every mistake in the book. I made them. I made all the mistakes, (laughs) all captured on film as well. Um, and at the end of the video, I kind of sign off by saying, oh, I'm so unhappy. This video, this day has been a disaster. And when you shoot film, you don't know if you've got good images or not. You don't even know if you've got any images, right? You're just totally reliant on, the, on your own, I don't know, experience, I suppose. Because um, it's analog photography, it can take weeks before you get the results back. And I got the results back today and scanned in the images and started editing the video. And actually, I'm really happy, like. So many images worked out, but yeah, that makes it even better because I still made every every terrible mistake, terrible mistakes.
1: Um, so, yeah, that's what I've been doing today, editing and packing. So did you really make mistakes or did you just get into a headspace where you thought you were making mistakes? Like, did you end up with good photos by accident? I mean, what are the odds of that?
0: No, dude, I made terrible mistakes. Let me show you. <laughs> This is a, a film back. So you put your film in this uh, in this back here. And I've got two of these, right? So you can have color film and then in the other one you can have black and white film. Um, and then when you want to change images, so you want to shoot a black and white shot instead of a color shot, you just take this off the camera and you get the replica with the other film in and you put it on the camera, right? One mistake I made was I was busy filming and trying to shoot. Instead of taking this off the camera and replacing it with the the other one, I did this. I opened the cartridge, and inside of the cartridge is the film. And one thing you're not supposed to do with film is exp- um, expose it to light, because that's how you take a photograph. So I've just opened this cartridge and just flooded a morning's worth of work with light. So just... Oh, God. Honestly.
1: Oh, yeah, man. that was one mistake. <laughs> so... It- did those photos end up getting totally overexposed, totally ruined? Oh yeah, it, it, it... completely trashed. When you look at the film, it's quite
0: funny. <sighs> There's just this like two and a half images just blown out. Uh, but it's okay because uh, because I'm used to making these mistakes. I uh, I usually bracket my images, which means taking more than one shot, you know, for safety. So yeah, paid
1: mm. off. Well, on, on that note, though, I, I have to say that there was an interview you did, I don't know, five or six years ago that I found it was basically a blog. You probably wrote in the responses uh, uh, on a blog or something like that. But they had asked you about how your your YouTube journey had had evolved. And this was years ago at that point. So it's always I always find it funny to look back on old interviews like ones that I've given years ago, where I was talking as if I had achieved the destination. And then you look at it five years later and like, oh, I wasn't even close to the destination yet. (laughs) Uh, The journey continues. But then in this interview, you were talking about the fact that at the beginning you were trying to only produce videos of all the perfect things, the perfect days. You wouldn't even make the video if you didn't end up getting the right shot or a shot you loved. And then you realized that it was actually the negative stuff, the mistakes, the bad days that viewers were attracted to. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's a classic thing with uh, social media, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you and how you feel, but personally, I actually have quite a disdain for social media. I don't like it, uh, which is funny because it's I'm my job. <laughs> I, think, I think it's done, it's amazing for the world, but I think in equal measure, it's terrible for the world it's just awful right social media is just uh anyway um the problem one of the problems with social media is that everything's presented in perfect perfection right everything's you know all these selfies all you know all these like men with six packs and abs and (laughs) women with perfect skin and shapely bodies but we know it's mainly well it's not real right Mm. it's filters and whatnot and the same with Instagram, Facebook, it's all snapshots of people's lives that are presented as their life, this is my life and it it sort of gives the viewer the feeling that they're not good enough because how come this person is living such a good life and so happy all the time and everything's going so well and they look so good and I'm not, I'm struggling, I'm, yeah, maybe I'm stuck in a job I don't like or I haven't even got a job and I don't travel and I don't do this. So, Basically, this whole being presented with this this perfect world um, is is just fake. It's it's ridiculous. So I realized this a long time ago that people actually really appreciate seeing the real the real sort of I don't know real life, I suppose. Um, Because every time I go out with my camera, of course I strive to get those perfect conditions, and you know I try and present myself as this kind of manly, outdoors figure who's hiking up a mountain and who's comfortable in all situations. And when that does happen and those moments come together, then it's it's great and I love to showcase that. But a lot of the time it doesn't. It's a struggle. I'm not always happy. My images aren't always great and I don't always get everything right. Um, so the more you show that, then the more uh, personable your channel or my channel becomes, the more I can connect with my audience but the more that you show that side of what you do whether it's you know anything whether it's a photography or magic or you know beauty stuff whatever the more you show the negatives then i feel like it's the more the positives shine and the more authentic those positive moments are so if every one of my videos was you know me hiking up a mountain to a perfect sunrise and taking the best photograph um it it would get a bit sickly after a while Mm -hmm. so i think it's better to give an honest reflection of of life behind the camera um yeah so that's that's what i do and it's also then a lot easier to produce content (laughs) because the truth (laughs) is it doesn't go well all the time
1: yeah yeah no that's that's so interesting i'm i'm curious to hear how you you manage to keep it fresh for for yourself making so much content even one video a week is, is a tremendous amount for people who've never done it before and and as i said for a couple of years i was vlogging like four or five times a week and i scaled it back to twice a week and then to once a week and then i just stopped vlogging uh and and i just couldn't do it anymore uh especially because i wasn't interest. i wasn't trying to shift to being a youtuber it was there to support my business or audience building fan building you know relationship building that kind of thing and I think a lot of people in their head who don't travel to exotic locations and like they see people like you do, they think, well, I can't produce content because I'm never doing anything more than being in my house and going to work. But for you, going to nature, going to these exotic locations is like going to work, right? It it must do you ever have do you ever struggle to go, oh, this video is just another video of me walking up the mountain, and then I had trouble, and now there's clouds over here. Do, do you ever feel like you're making the same video over and over again, and and how do you get away from that?
0: Yeah, 100%, man. That's the, one of the biggest battles I have, especially like now, for example, we're just in sort of in the middle of autumn. So at this time of year, you have a tendency to go into the woods and shoot all of the autumn color and the trees, and it lasts for about two or three weeks. Uh, so for that period, it does feel like I'm shooting the same images and the same videos, all of the time. Uh, one way to sort of get around that is, as, like we mentioned before, just to show the mistakes. Um, that's that's helpful. But, like, mix it up a bit. Like, I'm sh- I shoot film. I don't need to shoot film. I enjoy shooting film. Um, it's a challenge, and it can give really good results. But it's not a very safe way of working. Um, and that's good because that keeps me, you know, it takes me out of autopilot and... Um, mm-hmm makes everything feel fresh, makes every day a school day. You know, I'm constantly learning. And then I get this elation when I get the results back a week later and it's like, oh, I I do know what I'm doing. (laughs) This is great news. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm quite lucky in that I can uh, reach out to companies and perhaps get hold of different gear, different cameras. Mm -hmm. Um, So in one, that's one way of mixing it up a little. I mean, I have my cameras, which I love. Um, But to bring in something different every now and again, just helps keep it fresh and helps give the audience something, you know, uh, something a bit bit different. It's coming up with new ideas as well, new ways of presenting stuff, because ultimately it's me with the camera taking photographs, and that's always what it's going to be. But how do you present that? You know, you could make it a lesson, so perhaps you could sort of Mm -hmm. drill down on one specific technique that you're using. Uh, Again, that can also get a bit tedious after a while, because then it all feels a bit too structured, and it takes away the spontaneity um i mean yeah just coming up with new ideas and trying to build stories into what i'm doing i love telling stories so that's probably the best way to go about it because if if you look at it from the outside looking in then okay yeah it's just me going out with a camera every day and shooting trees right trees lakes and mountains But each, you know, everything's a story, you know, how cold am I? How do I feel? Is the camera working? You know, where am I going? What's the history of the place I'm going? What am I looking for? How much of my photography is dictated by my particular mood of that day? Um, Yeah, so on and so forth. So I try to mix it up and keep it as fresh as possible. In fact, I've just recorded a video that isn't even a video. There you go. That's
1: how fresh I'm keeping
0: it. <laughs> it that sounds like a, a magic
1: trick. It's it, a video that's not a video.
0: It is. It's, you know what it is? It's a, I thought like with photography, I don't know. I don't know how the best way to describe it. It's essentially, it's like a podcast, right? So I'm out in, in the wild with my camera and I'm mic'd up and I'm talking. It's dark as well. Cause it's like, five in the morning, and I'm talking about what I can see and what I can smell and what I can feel and the temperature. You can hear the sounds of the breaking waves. You can hear the birds. You can hear the clunking of my camera as I you know, attach it to the tripod, but you can't see anything. You can just hear it. So I'm being very descriptive. And then the only visual that you see is the image. So you know, I'm describing what I'm seeing, what I'm looking for, and what I'm photographing, but you never see it until I put the photograph on screen. And then that way, the viewer can build up in their mind a picture of where I am, You know, use their imagination. I'm kind of hoping in some bizarre way that they'll engage more with the video that way. But I'm worried that YouTube's algorithm will hate it. They'll <laughs> be like, no, no, we can't put adverts in this. So, ah, God, yeah, just mix it up, man. Get creative.
1: I get I want to drill down on this storytelling because so much of what you just said rings true with with me and the work that I do, but also with my experience as just a viewer of, of your channel as as, you know, just a fan of your of your channel. And and probably one of the main reasons that as someone who's not a photographer and doesn't like nature that I'm so obsessed with watching your videos. And, and it is the story. So one of the things that uh, and you and I kind of just met, so you probably know very little about my work, but I most of my work these days is I coach TEDx uh, speakers. And I coach people on, on speaking at some of the highest levels uh, to be super influential. And a lot of that work is about storytelling. I, I say to my clients all the time, you know, if you want to bore someone to tears, give them facts. If you want to move <laughs> someone to action, tell them a story. Right. And one of the things that you described when you were talking about how much you love storytelling is you were mentioning that It was it's so much of the story that you tell is about how you felt in that moment, whether you were frustrated or cold or anxious or excited or you know, and and why. And I think that for someone like me who doesn't have the experience of photography or landscape or nature of any kind, that is what I can get on board with, even though I don't have any direct, you know, connection to the type of work you're doing. I know what it feels like to have been working on something for a while and then encounter a huge roadblock. I know what it feels like to be frustrated that something's not working, you know? And it's it's that core uh, that that lets people, even when they don't immediately connect with the subject of your story or the object of your story, uh, to connect with the story itself, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. so photography can be very technical um, and quite frankly, boring, you know? <laughs> you got all of you. There's a lot of channels out there that like to heavily you know talk about gear and pixel peeping and looking at different graphs and charts and which is the sharpest and which has the most dynamic range and and it can all just get a bit a bit much and a bit dull whereas landscape photography in particular in fact all photography is so creative um so there's you've got two ends of a scale you can go really technical or you can get really super creative and me i've always leaned more towards the creative side i've never been a technical photographer. Um, you know, I'm I'm not obsessed by sharpness and pixels. Obviously, I like to get everything right in camera in the field as, as well as I can, but I'm not worrying about that. I'm I'm focusing all my energy on the creative side. Um, so, storytelling. If I if you didn't or if I didn't tell stories in my videos, it it there would be really short videos. I would just it would just be me stood by my camera talking about the thing that I'm shooting. And then probably go through my camera settings, take the image, and show the image, right? That's That could be like a two-minute video. But by telling a story, that two-minute video easily becomes a 15, 20-minute video. Because, there's, like like I mentioned before, so much of how you feel dictates what you shoot, whether you're aware of it or not. Um, you know, it's unless you go to a, an iconic viewpoint like... I don't know, Mesa arch or tunnel view or something like that. But if you're out in an unfamiliar location looking for something that sort of captures your imagination or peaks your creativity and curiosity, a lot of what will catch your imagination has to do with how you're feeling. So I try and tell that story and help draw the viewer into my world for that you know, yeah. really short period of time. Um, it's a lot of fun as well, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. You of
1: fun. can tell you can tell that you're having fun with it. And you, you use uh, narration in post-production a lot, a lot more yeah. than a lot of channels do. And, and that's where you get a lot of the story in. Do you, did that just develop naturally over time where you realize I, I, I can't think through the right words in the moment on the mountain when I'm trying to get the photo and I'm filming myself, so it would be better to tell it in post? Or how did, how did the narration aspect come about? Because it's, it's really effective.
0: Yeah, what I've, what I've realised it's it's just been a slow process, you know. It hasn't, um, it it didn't just come to me overnight. Um, I have a, a lot of friends on YouTube that do voiceover work on their videos, and it was always, it, it, I always enjoyed it, but I never felt it was something I wanted to do because I wanted my videos to be more authentic. I wanted to deliver what I'm feeling in the moment in that location, but you know making videos really gets in the way of telling the story <laughs> because <laughs> because you yeah. you're you know you I'm juggling like three or four balls at once I'm trying to take a photograph I'm trying to film myself taking the photograph and I'm trying to articulate what I'm doing and why I'm doing it um so sometimes when it's cold and you know there's a lot going on maybe the light is changing really quickly and you you know you're you're rushing trying to get everything ready and set up this is very difficult to get across on camera in a coherent manner <laughs> so yeah so what i've often found is it's easier just to leave the camera rolling then you don't have to worry about saying anything and then every 30 seconds you just snap out of your zone move the camera to a different position it takes like 5 seconds and then you carry on doing what you do. And that way you can focus far more on the photography, which is the most important thing. Um, and then that's where the narration comes in. It helps bridge one scene to another scene. And, you know, you can just deliver it in a, I don't know, more a more compelling way, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really it's really effective. And that's where some of that ethereal magical quality that I was I was mentioning earlier i think has started to has, has really come about in your videos over the last year or so where you've just hit this amazing balance between the music you're using the narration the as you've upped your gear i know you've talked about you know you you kind of even though you're not that interested in gear you kind of do have to keep upping it to keep up with youtube and what audiences are expecting and recently you you had a a, a video the length of sky uh mm, yeah. that was that was the first part one, and both parts are fantastic, but part one was, I mean, it was a masterpiece. It, it was completely captivating. I, I was real. I was like genuinely just enraptured in it. Like I actually, I typically watch videos like yours while I'm doing dishes and running around. It's like, it's like just part of my week. You know, I'm like just getting chores done and it's one of my things I put on. And what's funny is a lot of times because you're so descriptive, I realize I haven't even n- looked in like 10 minutes at what what the screen actually is showing me, I've just been listening to it, and I still get where you are, which is great. But this, I just stopped. I stopped cold and watched the whole thing. What was that? What was that day like? And how much work did it take to put that video together?
0: Well, um, yeah, a long time. <laughs> well, we, <it> was <laughs> me, me and my friend we hiked the entire length of the Isle of Skye in Scotland, which uh, took us six days. It was about a hundred miles, oh, and the idea God. was to just to uh, be outdoors for that period of time. You know, no walls, no hotels, just tent, just in a tent. And when you when you're a photographer and you immerse yourself in the outdoors for that amount of time, you start to notice everything. You know, the drop in temperature, the the speed of the wind and how that changes and even the visibility, how that comes and goes and the lights and and it makes you uh, I don't know, I, I think it makes you a better photographer rather than if you were staying in a hotel. You know, you might go out for a few hours then come back to the four walls of the hotel. You really don't get that connection as much as you do if you're literally outside 24-7. Mm. So like filming it and trying to tell that story and photograph it, it was a big challenge. Um, and again, that's where the narration came in because there was there was no way that I could just articulate everything in the moment especially some of the technical stuff like how many miles we've walked and, and whatnot so yeah editing it had like a week's worth of footage and then just trying to pull it all together into a story mm. um yeah it's, it's difficult and the funny thing is anybody that makes videos will probably understand this um i always get asked the question would i ever hire an editor to edit my videos the answer absolutely is no never in a million years because so much of the story so much of the video comes together in the edit suite um and i yeah. think if there was a parallel universe where you've got me in one universe and me in another universe and we both edited the same video from the same footage depending on how i'm feeling in whichever universe it would be a completely different outcome if i edited a video on one day and then tried to do the same thing the next day it would be a different film completely yeah. um so yeah i just love to get stuck into the moment i get in what is known as the flow state. I'm sure you know about this, yeah. uh, where an hour passes in what feels like 5 minutes
1: and then if you get yeah. interrupted you just lose your mind <laughs> like the, oh. the
0: doorbell goes it's like no no <laughs>
1: <laughs> trying yeah. to explain that to a non creative person is I know. very uh. difficult it's very difficult like my, my wife could not be more of a supportive person and she's a creative you know person in her own way and, and, and herself she's a therapist she does amazing really important work while i goof around in my clown shoes all day but <laughs> i you know but but once in a while I I do find myself struggling to explain like I need hours of uninterrupted time. And sometimes it looks like me just sitting on my couch and staring at a wall. And it would look like I'm just like wasting time or something. But I'm like, it's so hard to explain what's going on in my head and trying to piece something together and just like zoning out the world. And like you said, the doorbell rings and that can be enough because by the time you go check out who is this you come back up and you're it's just not there anymore. You don't have the you're not in the moment of that thing that was happening in your head. Yeah, it's
0: crazy. I try and explain it to my wife. Like, <laughs> I honestly believe that that if, if you get interrupted in the flow state, that's gonna change the direction of the work that you're doing. Like, I do. I, I honestly think the outcome's gonna be different. Um, I've been in, in that state before. I'm editing. I'm editing images and video and music. And, and I've my voiceover mic just here. So I, when I'm editing, I can literally in a split second lean over and then do a piece into the mic. Drop that into the video. It's all working. It's all just coming. I don't script anything. I don't. I just go with how I feel. And then my wife will come in the door. And she'll be like, uh, "I just wanted to know, do you like the the yellow paint or the blue paint?" I'm like, and she, "She doesn't understand why I'm so frustrated." And as an outsider looking in. I wouldn't understand either. It looks like I'm no. I'm being horrible.
1: Yeah, lunatic, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm like it was literally she needed about 6 seconds of my time. But it's not the time, it's the interruption that gets me. Yeah. Um so yeah man, that's so funny. Yeah. And I don't I don't always get in that state, but sometimes I do. And I think I did with the sky video. Um cuz you can well, tell cuz it's quite fast-paced. Um it's so,
1: yeah. It's beautiful, and obviously, show note the show notes here are gonna. There's so much visual stuff we're talking about, and and so if somebody's listening to this on my show, uh, most people listen to my podcast and don't watch it uh, on YouTube. And so if you're listening to this, click the links in the show notes and go check out some of this stuff. You need to see what we're we're talking about here, uh, and I want to stay on the story thing for for an extra second. You have a background in in uh, in media. Production, right? Is like your your like a formal training, education, college, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I went to college, university, media production, that kind of thing, and then so had a job in the corporate world,
1: which was dull. uh, (laughs) That's how so many people end up as artists. They have a job (laughs) in corporate. (laughs) Right, that was me. That was me,
0: and I, I I managed to break out. So happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did, so was there any component of that of that education uh, formally in storytelling or like I feel like your answer to most of these things is no, it just kind of developed over time. It's just something I, I discovered. Have you have you at some point read books on story or taken courses on story or just felt your way around it?
0: No, it's not. It's something I regret, actually. When I was at university, I could have taken part in creative writing as yeah. uh, as a module. Um but it's quite funny. Actually, I didn't I I did photography. Yeah, that was it. Gosh, this was so long ago. Yeah, I did so I did media production as a degree and and there are different components to that, you know, you can do sound, you can do photography, video, all this sort of stuff. And I, I a part of mine was photography and there was also creative writing and I didn't do creative writing. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of wish I did. Uh so no, no formal training in storytelling, it's experience. You know, when you first start making videos, you you learn what works and what doesn't. Um mm-hmm. and my videos earlier on, they're much shorter videos because I'm not telling as much of the story. It's very matter of fact. I'm going from here to there to try and photograph this and yeah. there's the image.
1: What are some of the biggest misconceptions about being a landscape photographer? What are the what are the things that people just assume when they meet you? Uh, people just assume that you spend all of your time
0: outside taking photographs. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> not true. I, I get out maybe like once every couple of weeks if I'm lucky. Wow. Um, no, it's it's all um, it's all emails and admin and editing and processing. So that's the that's the major assumption is that um, that yeah that you're always out in the landscape. And the other major assumption, uh, this is usually by uh, non photographers, um, is they go oh, cool photoshop like you know did you use photoshop for that it's like no i spent six days waiting for the perfect conditions um so yeah that's it but no a lot of people um um yes yeah, some people i don't it's not that they don't get it it's just you know so many people have phones on them these days and they'll just be in the moment something cool happens you know maybe there's a nice sun maybe they're at the beach and there's a nice sunset they'll get the phone and they'll take a picture. Um, so I think they assume that that's what we do, but with a bigger camera, mm. and that's, that's quite often not the case. I mean, that is the case sometimes—very reactive photography where something happens and then you you try and react to it as quickly as possible. But a lot of it is research and endurance, and you know, trying to get some kind of feeling across uh, with your images. You know, trying to trying your best to to make um, I don't know. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say here, but, you know, trying to make an image rather than take an image.
1: Yeah. That that, it's that, what what, that made me think of is the intention when we talk about art Mm. and you can get really philosophical. We don't have to go there, but the, the intention matters because I, I I'm from Buffalo, New York originally. And, uh, we had this incredible art gallery, the Albright Knox Art Gallery. And there's this one, and I wish I knew who the artist was now. I'll have to look it up later. Maybe I'll insert a narration right here saying who it was. But there is this very famous piece of art in this art gallery that's a giant white canvas with just a red dot painted in the middle of it. And that's that's the whole thing. And this thing is famous and it's been there forever. And I remember how many times if you went there with your friends while well, we used to go to the, to the art galleries, so every time you walk past that, someone near you is going to make that joke. Well, my five-year-old could have done that. Mm. And I remember thinking every time someone said that, even when I was too young to really understand the philosophy of art, I remember thinking, yeah, but the five-year-old doesn't know what he's doing when he does that. And this artist (laughs) did, they did it on purpose, right? (laughs) They did it for a reason. Even if you don't know what the reason is, there's something behind this image. Uh, and, and that's the difference, right? Between just snapping a photo of a cool thing in the moment and, Planning and researching and thinking through your shot.
0: Yeah, it's about being deliberate. um, Trying to create meaningful images. Um, Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's intention. It is absolutely right. It's being intentional, and that can mean anything. That can that can mean photographing something that you've been following a tree that you've watched grow since a child, <laughs> or it can uh-huh. just be the case of something's happened in the moment. Like a, again, let's just say an amazing sunset because that's the easiest thing to, that people can visualize. Um, and you know, it's it, you position your camera in a certain way. You get lower to the ground or you place something in the foreground or or whatever the usual stuff but just even that that small amount of kind of being intentional can make such a big difference I mean the, the classic thing is if you um, if you go into a an art gallery or a photography gallery where there's images on the wall you'll find a lot of people will look at the pictures and they'll say oh I could have taken that and that's that's one of the that's one of the most frustrating responses as a photographer is oh I could have taken that side. of course you could have you know it's just <laughs> that's the thing that's the problem with photography actually is um, it's not like painting where you need a skill like you know real real sort of skill photography uh, in theory anybody can do it it's very accessible and that brings with it the assumption that if you see something. You know, you think, well, I could do that. I could have taken that. But I'd question whether they could because you have to see things and you have to anticipate things.
1: Yeah. I don't want to get too
0: deep with it. But um
1: No, it's 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 interesting. And 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 just to tag on that point, like we we're talking about the misconceptions. When you meet somebody new and 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 they, you know, and you tell them for the first time that you're a landscape photographer, like what's the first question somebody asks you?
0: Um, oh gosh. I don't <laughs> I usually try and avoid that conversation. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I don't like. Why, why do you try to avoid that conversation?
0: Uh, because it, it it brings about lots of questions about um, what I do for a living, and and of course, then I have to bring on on YouTube because people always want to know how you make money. So you say, okay, well, I'm a landscape <laughs> photographer, and they say, oh, wow, wow, how how do you make money? And they they assume that you sell stock, and perhaps you shoot images for I don't know national geographic or something like that right but the world's changed so what happens is you tell someone you're a landscape photographer and it opens up this can of worms about social media youtube travel photography licensing images making product yeah it's just it's a deep conversation which i tend to avoid um so i will just say i'm a photographer and that i photograph all sorts (laughs) and then that, (laughs) that just tends to that that squashes the conversation um so yeah it i never i also i think it sounds a bit pretentious as well saying i'm a landscape photographer yeah gosh i really i really have got some uh, social issues here but
1: (laughs) well okay so this is a great transition here because of course this this show is entirely about uh networking and, and conversations and communication and i mean this this is what and this is what i i teach as a as a speaker is uh and this is a problem i have as well you're saying you don't know like uh saying landscape photographer sounds pretentious Think about how i have to answer that question. So <laughs> so technically i'm a thought leader. But guess what you can't say when somebody says what do you do for a living? No, if <laughs> i was a at thought party, leader. <laughs>
0: yeah. If i was at a party and i met somebody and they said i'm a thought leader, i'd be like, "Okay,
1: i would just leave." Yeah, exactly. And i can't yeah. say i'm a speaker cuz then they go, "Speak, what is that what do you speak about?" and it's just, you know, i say i'm a consultant that's not really you know, right? Yeah. People don't know what, you know. And so uh so having said that though, What you do to a lot of people, I think seems like maybe a lonely profession, but it's clearly not to you or or maybe it is. I mean, no, I think
0: there's there's a big difference between loneliness and solitude. So, um, Mm. yeah, it's it's not it's not lonely, Um, although you may look that way because you spend a lot of a lot of it. uh, It's something that you do alone and you have to do it alone. You really do. I mean, of course, you can go out and shoot with friends. I'm meeting friends up in Scotland uh, later this week, but but to really engage you know you have to be alone because you can't be thinking about anything else you you can't go out to enjoy landscape photography with a deadline so if you have to leave to go somewhere or somebody's waiting for you that's the worst um so yeah you have to do it alone but yeah you know, solitude's great it's it's an escape from the madness that's going on in the world today
1: yeah so where do you find connection then as as a as a landscape photographer. So, so it's not lonely to be out there and where, where is the connection then, then in your life? Do you spend time with other photographers? Do you try to avoid other photographers? How do you, how do you get Um, that?
0: I'd say I have have a a close circle of friends, none of whom are photographers understand photography or understand YouTube. <laughs> so that's really nice. You know, <laughs> um, it is. Yeah. It's great because we just don't talk about it. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, we do other things. We go out for food, we go drinking, we go cl- do a lot of rock climbing. Um, and then of course I have my wife. I do like to, to uh, chat and hang out with other people who do what I do. So who, other people who make a living from YouTube and other photographers, mm. that's good. But I, Oh, I don't know. I don't like, uh, uh, I don't know. How, how can I say this without sounding really rude? I'm I'm, I'm a very cynical person. Okay. I'm very <laughs> cynical. Um, so it takes a lot for somebody to gain my trust. Mm. So if a photographer or a fellow YouTuber reaches out and says, Hey, let's hang out and just, you know, just hang out. We both do the same thing. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't tend to do that. I'd be a bit, skeptical about why they want to hang out what do they want you know do they want access to my audience do they you know are yeah. they trying to be uh what's that cool by association um <laughs> so so i i really you know i have a small group of friends who do what i do um but it's very difficult for an outsider to penetrate that bubble um, only, I'm just a fairly closed-off person, I suppose. Not in a not in a bad way. I'm just.
1: I, no, you I seem, don't know. You, you seem very happy with with it. I, I'm. 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 I totally get that, by, by the way, the 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 distrust because I'm generally a trusting person and, and I literally teach human connection for a living. So like I'm that oh, I'm the guy that wants to have a conversation with people on a plane that people like you were like, oh, please just let me put my headphones on and go away. <laughs> you know, I I'm that guy who wants to get everybody's life story and, and, and make connections. My, my I play a little game with myself when I'm you know traveling, which is every person I meet, even if it's for 10 seconds, getting a cup of coffee. Can I make this person laugh? in just 10 seconds, you know, can I get them to smile? Can I change something for a minute? But at the same time, when people reach out to me, especially through my channels, they reach out to me, the brand, the professional that they see on LinkedIn or from my Ted talk or from YouTube or whatever it is, when they reach out to me like that, I have the same, what you said is, what does this person want? How much time do they need? Because you have to draw a line somewhere with your own um, boundaries, right? Yeah, exactly. It's
0: boundaries as well. well, I have a problem where I feel like the more people that I bring into my life or, or, you know, start making connection with then that's going to cause complications like um, Mm. it's the classic thing of, oh, I was, you know, if you go somewhere and then this other person might be like, well, why wasn't I invited? Uh, And then that worries uh, me. It's like, ah. It's
1: high school all over again. (laughs) It is. It just, it never
0: ends, to be honest. It never ends. But that's, I I think that's more of a problem with me, to be honest. Um, But I just, I much prefer to have a a close, a small, close circle of friends Mm. rather than being Mr. Sociable, knows everybody, is always hanging out with somebody. I mean, that sounds great in an ideal world, but it's not me. Um, I'm grumpy and I like. I like the people I like, and and I trust a small amount of people, um, and that I think that's just the way I'll keep it. To be honest.
1: <laughs> well, so this this is a perfect segue then, because the the core defining feature of this show to separate it from being just another you know podcast where people talk about their jobs and stuff like that is I I ask everybody to tell me one story of a chance encounter they had at somebody some some point in their life, a chance encounter. Uh, could be personally or professionally that had a lasting impact on you, and maybe a story that's not necessarily the thing that you'd ever have any reason to tell otherwise. Does does a story like that come to mind? Well,
0: <laughs> yeah, man, uh, without a doubt. Because uh, when I was 15 years old, I was uh, we had to do like this whole career thing at school. And I was not good in school. I was bad in school. You know, I was always in trouble. I was constantly being distracted. I'm not very good at academia, so I was just ugh, couldn't couldn't didn't have an outlet. Didn't really have any creativity. I loved art, but I couldn't draw. Anyway, I was at my <laughs> uh, I was at my career meeting, and this is this is like I don't know, like six months before I'm supposed to decide what I'm to do with the rest of my life, um, and. At that point, I think I was going to try to get into automobile mechanics. So, you know, fixing cars. That was the only thing I could think of that I might be able to do. Um, And I sat down with my English teacher, Miss Morris, and she she just looked at, she was flicking through a a book or something of different courses they have on a college. And she said, what about media, media production? No, media studies, that was it. What about media studies? And do you know what I said to her? I said, "What's media studies?" And she said, "She said, oh, you know, like television, radio." I was like, "Oh, I like watching TV." Yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I literally signed on the dotted line <laughs> there and then. And then a few months later, I was in college in the dark room, uh, processing black and white film, learning how to edit videos, learning how to make films, learning how to transition from one scene to the next. Um, and it was all because of just yeah, I, I She meant she happened to me. I just, I so terrifying that if i didn't sit down with that english teacher there is no way i would have done media studies i probably would have wow. been in a garage learning how to fix <laughs> engines isn't that wild it's not that's scary man not wild. <laughs> terrifying you think how many other how many other parts of your life could have branched off in a different direction just because of something so small like so yeah. small yeah that's crazy yeah
1: Yeah, you can't you can't possibly see see the ripples in any in any moment of where 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 those can all all lead to that. That is wild because that would be a totally different. We'd be having a very different conversation had you been gone gone into automobile mechanics. Uh, I know (laughs) as little about that as I do about landscape photography, Uh, probably even less. So we're we're coming on into the end uh, here and. Before I ask you kind of one final question, just to follow up on on the chance encounter, because earlier, way earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that there is an there's an element of luck in in landscape photography in particular, and being out there no matter how much planning you do. So I, I can't ask you, do you believe in luck? Because clearly you do. You mentioned it already. But do, do you feel like it's po- possible to take control of luck in any way to to make it more likely you're going to end up in a lucky situation, to be lucky on purpose, as it were? Oh, yeah, without a doubt.
0: I mean, uh, you, well, you make your own luck, don't you? And what's that saying? The more The more you get out of the, the harder you try, the more times you get lucky, something like that. Mm. So, so yeah, uh, for sure. But the thing is with photography, um, like Im- good images are everywhere all of the time, right? Everywhere. If you're outside, you, you're probably never more than a, you know, a couple of hundred meters from a, a fantastic world beating image. But the difficulty is recognizing that potential. So so that's that's where that's where the practice comes in. So um, you know, the the more you get out and practice, the more you shoot, the more you realize what works and what doesn't work. Then the more you become better at recognizing the potential in in any scene. And sometimes it's easy, like when you get an amazing burning red sky and snow covered mountains, right? That's quite easy to recognize that potential. But then the difficulty becomes when you start finding nuances on the ground where you walk in the way that a leaf is falling over a rock and the texture and the light um and so you know you can you can rely on look as much as you want in terms of hoping that you get amazing light and snow for example mm-hmm. or you can make your own look by learning to recognize the potential that is everywhere um mm-hmm. and it's just yeah it just takes time and experience and trial and error
1: and that's the difference in what we were talking about earlier, right? Between the person who sees a photograph and says, "Well, I could have taken that," uh, and 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 you think to yourself, "Well, no, you wouldn't have even. You would have walked right past." Yeah, that you would image. have
0: just walked straight over that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. photographers who, who I respect, who like it, they take phenomenal images of just something so so dismissive, something that you would just walk past. Um. And it's just like, oh my God, what an eye, what an eye. So learning to get that eye and learning to see things is probably the best thing you could do to give yourself the the most look, really.
1: Um, And it's very, very difficult to do. (laughs) Yeah. So before I ask you the last question, uh, Thomas, where would you like people, apart from your YouTube channel, uh, to connect with you? Instagram, LinkedIn, somewhere else? Um, Your website? Probably my
0: website, yeah, my website. Because then you can see my gallery. Because the yeah. thing with YouTube is, is the YouTube is not my portfolio. We talked earlier before about showing the, the bad side of photography, the difficult days. Right. So a lot of people will watch a YouTube video and they go, oh, these images aren't very good. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I agree with you. I shot them. They're terrible. Um, but, you know, you only you can only you go out 10 times with a camera. You'll be looking to get, well, we say look again. But, uh, yeah, you know, you, you a great photographer will make you know, 12 good images a year. So yeah, if you go to my uh, my website, then you can see my gallery. And from there, you've got my social media, although don't expect much interaction on social media from me, as yeah. we've already discussed. But email <laughs> is is a good one if somebody does want to get in touch. Uh, so yeah, that my website. That was a long-winded answer,
1: wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was a good answer. And, and you skated by the most important thing you said in all of that, which was a good, great photographer gets maybe 12 keepers a year 12 good images a year that is a mind-blowingly low success rate by what most people think of as you know as a success rate how how do you only get 12 good images a year
0: well it it all depends on your own standards doesn't it i suppose um but the you know the the more you shoot the more the higher your standards become Mm -hmm. Um, so now you're just looking for perfection uh, perfect light perfect subject great texture great colors um and that it's just hard man it's difficult it is yeah. difficult and the, the thing is with the internet is if you look at a photographer's portfolio and you just see like 100 amazing images then that can make you feel a bit like oh okay well i'll never be that good because i can't i can't even take one amazing image but what you're not seeing is The ten thousand terrible images that that photographer took that he didn't put on his website, and then if you multiply that by all of the good photographers online, you know you're just bombarded by by a million amazing images, but you're not seeing the trillion not so amazing images. Um, You know, it's just one of those things. You find a great subject, but the lights, the conditions don't quite work out. Um, Your composition was off a bit. So yeah, all in all. One a month.
1: I mean, that, and the last question I was going to ask you, I don't need to now because you basically just answered it, at least as far as I'm concerned. I I was going to ask you, like I ask everybody, what's one piece of advice you have for the people who listen to my show are mostly young professionals, early 20s to mid 30s. They're looking to build a sustainable career in an increasingly unpredictable world. That's what everyone's listening to this show for. And I usually ask for one piece of advice, but that was a pretty good piece of advice is the persistence and of of knowing that how many how much bad stuff you have to you have to wade through to to find the good stuff
0: yeah of course i mean that's it isn't it and also don't be like i said mentioned before don't be uh discouraged by all of the good stuff out there you know it takes time it takes so long there's no overnight success um you just have to slowly build good foundations build good images and just know that everything you see in social media is is only about 5% truth and the rest of it is you know you're only seeing the good stuff basically all of the bad stuff you're not seeing so the bad images the the bad I don't know the entrepreneurs who didn't make a million dollars in the first year you know you uh-huh. only you only start to hear from them once they become successful
1: in most yeah. cases anyway so yeah just uh,
0: just keep at it keep
1: going listen i really appreciate this uh, i i had a blast uh having having this conversation and getting to hear some of the 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 deeper finer stuff uh but behind everything so i really appreciate your time and and thanks so much for for everything no you gave to us
0: yeah thanks for having me on as well it's been it's been a pleasure